Cheers. Salud. 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 <laughs>
Especially now, because it's such a part of our life, both our academic work and our mother work, Mm -hmm. you know, too. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us about your academic world? Where'd you go to school? Yeah. What'd you do? I got my doctorate in 2014. I got it from the California Institute of Integral Studies, which is in San Francisco. It is a uh, kind of, it is a pretty radical school. I have a PhD in women's spirituality. Um, and they were coming up with a different name for it. They're trying to figure it out around like activist work actually mm-hmm. and theory and then practice when it comes to women's ways of understanding and um, navigating life and the world and history and all the different topics. Yeah. Um, and then I um, was lucky to get um, hired by Dominguez Hills the fall of 2014. Um, I had some colleagues I used to teach at Long Beach State and they were there, got me in. And now I teach women's studies at Dominguez Hills, and I have now for four, it's my fifth year teaching. Awesome. And you? So me, um, I did my PhD, well, I kind of, I did graduate work, um, I did my master's at Casa de Ley in Chicano, Chicana Studies, um, and then I did my PhD at UC Riverside in Ethnic Studies, and I was actually part of the first cohort Um, in the ethnic studies department, it was like the first year that they had, they Mm -hmm. offered the PhD. Um, and so I finished, I just finished last year in 2017, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember you coming in to the the boys school and they're like, I did it. Oh, right. Yeah. I think when we first met, I was still finishing up. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. And then when I was finished and. Uh, but in, even while I was writing my dissertation, I had two kids during that time Mm -hmm. and I started teaching. So I started teaching at, uh, the, at at the community college, Harbor College. And then I eventually, I worked a semester at Cal State Long Beach and then I eventually got, um, hired at Cal State LA where I've been for, I think about maybe two years now. Mm. Um, but I love it too, because I did my master's there, so it does feel a little bit like home and I love that campus and I love the students and it does feel very much like home being there. Interesting. I think that brings us into something we wanted to touch on, which was how much time we work Mm. on campus, you Mm. know, and the fact that, um, we're both lecturers, um, and we both are not really interested in seeking a tenure track position. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think we should demystify a lot of that mm. a little bit. Cause I think there's so much, there is so much mystery around like, what does it mean to be part-time and what is, you know, um, not just to people who are not in academia, but I think even people who are in academia and, you know, maybe they're in grad school still trying to figure out what their next mm-hmm. thing is. Um, so we're both what they consider part-time lectures. Even though you're teaching five classes. I'm teaching five classes across three different campuses. So I'm part-time at each of those campuses, meaning that I don't have the rights and privileges of a tenure track or tenured, um, professor. Um, I don't have the pay, (laughs) the benefits or the pension that they all have. Mm -hmm. Um, but I work the same, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I always say that's the adjunct hustle, mm-hmm. right? There's yeah. a lot of people who are part-time that work part-time at different campuses. And so you're driving, you know, from campus to campus, either in the same day. I mean, I know people who are driving to three different campuses on the same day. I usually only work at two campuses on one day and then another on another day. Um, but it's real and it's, it's exhausting. Um, this is the first time I've taught five classes. Before this, I've taught maybe four, three mm-hmm. or four was three was about my average. Um, but I really learned the lesson hard the hard way this semester mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. five classes, at least for me, I know there's plenty of people who do that and more all the time mm-hmm. and have been doing it for years. Um, but for me, it's just not sustainable. I just, you know, not for the kind of, you know, life that I want to live and, and also 
really also just for my own mental health, yes. just to keep myself, you know, not in a, in a state of like spiraling, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think I shared with you before, you know, I was on campus and I saw a professor that I had and <laughs> this is a male professor, but still, <laughs> and he's gotta be in his, 60s maybe 70s and I thought oh my god I'm gonna be here forever (laughs) and can I can I keep doing this forever and um and I was like I don't I don't think I can and so what does that look like you know and and it was tough but yeah you so you said really making this conscious choice because the assumption is that when you get your PhD when Mm -hmm. you finish Mm -hmm. the next step is you're gonna apply for tenure track positions. Didn't you have an interesting, was that you had that conversation with like a former mentor who mm-hmm. was like, oh, you're not doing that? <laughs> but then well, you heard something back from her that was like, Yeah, oh. so last year when I, so I finished my dissertation last July and she was actually on my um, committee. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I finished in July and then all these applications came out and they were due, I think, around this time last year. And I, and I literally had letters of rec already. I had my like statement of purpose. I had a draft of it. Like I was really in the mode of applying. And every time I sat down to my computer, I just couldn't, I was like, I don't, what is this? There's a block. I just can't do it. And they were great positions. You know, they were Mm -hmm. positions that were really pretty much fit for me. And I remember calling her one time and saying, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. And it was weird. She goes, do you just need somebody to give you permission not to apply? <laughs> and I said, yes. And she said, then I'll, I'll give you permission to just take a break. And mm-hmm. I was like, ugh. Mm-hmm. It, it literally felt like mm-hmm. a huge weight was lifted. I mean, I had mm-hmm. just spent eight years, mm-hmm. you know, in grad school, five of which I was writing a dissertation and in the middle of all that having kids and all this other stuff going on. And I really hadn't had a break. And so it was really nice to get that break. But then once... Once I was like, okay, I don't have to apply. I eventually was like, I don't think I'm gonna apply ever. <laughs> That's so big. I love that. I don't know if I'm. I, I haven't quite said that, mm. but it's how I envision my life. You know, I feel like um, I'm. I I got my degree. I got my job, and then like just a year later, just in time to get off. That maternity leave, <laughs> thank God, thank Goddess, you yeah. know, like, um, I had a child, and um, it's very important to me to spend time with my child, and I feel like it's such yeah. a um, such a big thing, you know, ancestors' wildest dream, to be able to work in the field that I love, and then to also spend time with my child. Yeah. I don't think that's um, in any of my female ancestors, and, or my male ancestors, any yeah. of their stories. Um I always push back on having um, more classes every semester. I get offered from different programs and departments, and I'm like, no, I really, you know, I really think with two, I'm at the poverty line, but I have <laughs> health insurance. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then I, I just know that and then there's been some jobs in my program where like you can become like the interim director of this you know the program you can Mm -hmm. the the chair or you um and I've just been no I number one I don't know if I know how to do that so (laughs) but I just feel like I'd be putting in more much more than 40 hours a week and actually I'm an advocate of the 30 hour work week did you know this (laughs) I didn't I I really think that the 40 hour work week was such a great gain, you know, when, um, the, you know, unions Unions. worked for that, um, such a great one. But I really think that, um, it's that 30 hours should, should work, like really act like being an advocate for, um, less work or more work at home, more valuing of the work that we do outside of the labor force. Um, and really dismantling, you know, that system that says, you know, your work is way over here. You yeah. spend a lot of time commuting. You live in, like, your, you know, little box on the hillside. You don't know your neighbors. I feel like everything kind of structures so that we actually work most of our lives. Yeah. For the man, really, you know, for the white man, let's be real. And mm. um, I just want to just say no. 
Yeah. No, and that so that's is my way. My way of sp- spending more time with my child is my activist work. Yeah. Um, having maybe more emotional space for my students, which is you know, yeah, something that we don't get paid for, but is certainly there that we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, it's also my activist work. You know. Um, yeah, I think I think that's and mental health too, like you were health. talking about. I mean, I I have this summer. I I mean. There's no other way to say it was sort of a breakdown. You know, I had a, I had a really rough mental health crisis, and um, and then I was like, oh, now I'm gonna go into five teaching five classes. That sounds like a good idea. Um, I I have been really sensitive to my to my mental health in that, like I, um, yeah just kind of building infrastructure in my life to like, okay, when I'm starting to feel a certain way to just be like, Oh, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. I need to cancel class, you know, and not feeling guilty about it because I need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing, okay, I learned that lesson next semester. I'm not teaching five classes, but I think it's, it's really also forced me into thinking what, what are my career goals long term, And mm-hmm. what, what do I want this life to look like? Mm-hmm five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about this, like how can we teach our two classes so that we can get our insurance? Cause that's enormously important, you know, to be able to you provide know, that for our children, our children. Um, but then maybe do other stuff. Yes. <laughs> how can we use all this knowledge that we've gained, all these degrees that we have in a way that's actually going to be more sustainable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not just financially, but emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, going to provide a fam or a, a life where we can spend time with our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think we see that for us, time with our kids is part of our activist work, mm-hmm. right? It's not like we're doing our, you know, because we both work in gender studies, inherently the work that we do is activist work, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean, like, we come home and that's it. It's we turn off that activist mm-hmm. role, right? Um, you know, the way that we parent, the way that we are consciously mm-hmm. trying to be with our kids, um, the, way, the way that we're consciously trying to educate our kids, right? Like, that's all very uh, intentional work mm-hmm. that requires a lot of emotional time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we've talked about how can we create a life where we can do that really you know, see our children as a priority and the work that we do with and for them as a priority, but also have this financial stability. Um, it's really such a privilege, actually, to be able to, to make this choice, huge to actually privilege. see that there's a choice and to be able to discern um, what what it is that we want to do working within systems when we want to. Like, I think being part of the university, it's like my student asked me, are you, are you religious? I was like, I'm part of this university, aren't I? <laughs> um, but then really saying... What are ways that we can um, step out of that, like step out of that world that's so yeah. um, the dominant ideologies that still really harbors the white supremacist, capitalist, heteronormative patriarchy that we talk about again yeah. and again. Um, yeah. I know we did that briefly with our births, right? Yes. That's a big thing. Giving birth outside of the hospital was a very strategic move, I think, for both of us. Um, and I think that's also been another point of bonding for us, mm-hmm. right, that we both had out of hospital births. Mm-hmm. You have, you had a home birth. I had one home birth and one birth center birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that was, that was, uh, maybe that was sort of the first step in this sort of seeing our parenting mm-hmm. as political or as part mm-hmm. of our activist work was to really kind of, um, birth is political. I birth is political. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I do think that was, it, that was a very life changing decision not even just the moment of giving birth but like just to make that decision like i'm gonna have my baby at home mm-hmm. you know um again which what an awesome privilege and like being able yeah. to make that choice and to be able to like reflect on our birth stories with pride yeah you know and with a feeling of safety and a feeling of feeling heard mm-hmm. and understood instead of being coerced or neglected and i think that brings us to our podcast. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a really good transition to think about, like, why are we doing this podcast? If birth is political, mothering is political, bleeding is political, yes. right? This is our flow series. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we're really, um, you know, we, 
I think this podcast sort of came out of looking at really just us as friends, I think, <laughs> wanting to work together, um, wanting to create a different kind of life, you know, um, although we're academics, mm-hmm. but how can we use our academic uh, background in a different way? And so we've created this online learning site. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it, it sort of just organically grew into like this, let's just do a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I can say that I feel like this is a dream come true. I feel like I wanted this for like six months or something like that. I was like, come on, let's just do it. (laughs) But now we have a really, I think, um, it's it's like a full circle, really, you know, the sense of um, being able to talk um, through the podcast medium, whatever, to the interwebs, (laughs) Um, but also to really, you know, invite people into um, our first course. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we hope that, um, you know, we can just kind of have, or interviewing, um, okay, so this first, I think we imagine this to be a first series, right, mm-hmm. being the flow series, mm-hmm. so the next few episodes, um, really emphasizing our first course, which is um, reclaiming our cycles, an introduction to the history theory, and practice Practices. of menstruation, mm-hmm. I said it like a million times, Um <laughs> But yeah, so who do, who are we thinking interviewing or like? In general, I think we want to bring in. Um, I I think they could be pretty self identified, radical, mm-hmm. you know, mujeres, mujeres with an X, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to really highlight the work that's already going on, like in our community and the conversations mm-hmm. that we're having. Um, which, I mean, I'm so grateful. Gosh, yeah, on the daily um, with. Um, different people in our community um, that inspire me, inspire us, challenge us, and I think deepen this work. And so that's where we begin with this first one today. Yeah. So we're excited to be bringing you this podcast, Mm -hmm. excited to be bringing you um, the next few episodes focusing on our flow and menstruation Mm -hmm. and definitely this first episode. I do want to give a little context that it's been a journey. (laughs) just creating this first episode uh it's Mm -hmm. it's all a learning process for us Mm -hmm. you know we've never done a podcast before and Mm -hmm. so we're like just kind of trying to figure it out as we go along so we have had we had to record it (laughs) several times one time the audio was really bad another time it disappeared magically into thin air we somehow enjoyed each 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 time recording so um to see it towards the work of breaking generational trauma <laughs> again and again. Yeah, so we we finally were able to record our first interview, interview, um, and we're really excited to be bringing you that. So, yeah, we look Enjoy. forward to being here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> our guest today. Mm-hmm is Danelia Arechiga of Mami Amor Birth and La Fuente Community Space. We invited her here today after a voice text she sent us a few weeks ago. Um, so this is coming off of Christina and I releasing our first course um, as part of our new um, online learning site on Teachable. So you can find us, lasdoctoras.teachable.com. And the name of our first course is Reclaiming Our Cycles, uh, an Introduction to the History Theory and Practice of Menstruation. And um, we're really, (laughs) we're really excited about bringing this course. And it's just brought up, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff for us. Um, we actually did this as part of an in-person event back in May with Latina Mothers Collaborative. Um, I want, um our guest to introduce herself and her work, and then we'll get into our topic. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so my name is Danelia. Um, I am a birth worker of color. Um, I'm a full spectrum doula. I, I teach childbirth education, and I also encapsulate placentas for clients or non-clients. Um, I am a conscious parenting advocate. Um, that's something that I've become very passionate about. Um, because I am homeschooling, doing this like hybrid homeschooling with my daughter, Corey Ray, who's almost seven years old. Um, like Renee said, I'm the co-owner of La Fuente in Long Beach. And then I'm also an advocate for body positivity and I'm a proud feminista. 
Awesome. And gender pronouns? Uh, my gender pronouns are she and her. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So let's just get into where, um, why we were inspired really to like, to bring you here. Um, and uh, the amazing <laughs> text message that we received from, from you. <laughs> so tell us what you observed. Um, so I was at La Fuente one night. Um, I was there alone and I went to the restroom and we, La Fuente, it, it is located in a corporate building. So it, it's like a very small, like little building with a bunch of little offices and we all share a restroom. And um, I went to the restroom. I was like sitting on the toilet <laughs> and I see this sign like glaring at me that says, um, please do not flush your menstrual products down the toilet. And um, I don't know. I feel like maybe it's because I had been talking to both of you a lot about menstruation and your course and how it was rolling out. And um, it made me like hyper aware of this like abrasive sign that's telling me like not to flush my pads down the toilet. Like number one. I feel like I wouldn't do that. And number two, like, even if I, if I had a pad in that moment to flush, like there's nowhere else for me to put it. There was no receptacles in the stalls and it really like bothered me in that moment. I was just kind of like the fact that there's nowhere to put it, it doesn't surprise me that someone somewhere along the lines of the existence of this building has flushed a pad down the toilet. Like where else am I supposed to put it? And so it, it started um, kind of igniting this, like, other idea, this other conversation of, like, the fact that there's also a lot of shame ingrained in menstruation. Like, the fact that some woman somewhere had a pad and didn't feel comfortable exiting the, the stall with it. So instead, she chose to flush it, which is probably why this sign exists, right? And we see these signs everywhere. It's not just there, but um, more than anything, I feel like in a space that we've tried to create at La Fuente, it should be like, for me, I'm, I'm exiting like this very like safe space that we've created. And then we go to the restroom and it's like, that's the world telling us like, mm -hmm. we don't want to see your pads. We don't want to see your period. We don't want to hear about it. Just like mm -hmm. get rid of it and don't make it our problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So I had yeah. to share it with you all. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and I, I remember listening to it and totally resonating with it. Like I totally understood. And, um, I, I do, you know, in, in the course or in the process of building our course and, you know, there was already so much we were including and, you know, it's hard to, you know, what do we, what do we include? Like, you know, we teach things like this over a semester <laughs> um, and we're like, how do we get everything into like this one little course? And, but it did really uh, clarify that we need, to, we needed to touch on that topic within our course particularly the shame that's yeah. kind of the shame meme that's involved right when you encounter a sign like this with sanitary napkins and feminine hygiene products and where it should go and so I'm really glad we're having this conversation yeah and so I think it brings up this um the idea of shame and the idea of like that the menstrual cycle is inherently a shameful thing, right? We, we get these messages very early on from the time that we first start our periods. So um, I think really what we're understanding um, about all of this, right, is that that, the, that is one particular message of shame that we get around our menstrual cycle, right? The idea of um, even just the, the what they're called sanitary napkins, feminine hygiene, right? This perception that it needs to be cleaned or it needs to be, you know, or that the perception of that menstruation is inherently dirty. And that's a shameful message that we get. So I want us to really maybe talk about that aside from signs like this, where else do we get these messages of shame, um, particularly in relation to our menstrual cycle? I think that um, when we talk about shame for our menstrual cycle and what it should look like, you know, we think of messages like that we see in stalls, little girls seeing that it's from a very early age on the television scene, things like the blue liquid poured into a pad, you know, mm. what it should look like. Um, and then I think it's just a general sense of don't look there, don't go there, don't touch there. Um, and any kind of, uh, uh, Fluid coming from down there should not be, um, should be minimized as yeah. much as possible and should um, 
And just should be made invisible. Invisible. Make it go away. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think um, it's it's coming from multiple places, right? Like you, you were alluding to the blue liquid, right? So we see in commercials that blue liquid is supposed to mimic menstrual flow <laughs> and supposed to uh, demonstrate how absorbent, right, a pad or a tampon is. And... We, you know, it's blue because it's seeing that blood would be dirty, right? Or blood, it would be gross, mm-hmm. right? It would be gross to see blood in a commercial, right? And in fact, it's Never so... Never menstrual blood. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and the, the blue liquid is not a, not even close to being mimicking of menstrual blood because it's right. so much thicker. There's clots and, you know, there's all, kind, there's all kinds of yeah. stuff in there. Um, but again, it's, it's this idea of... Um, you know, we can't show that on TV. We can't show real menstrual blood on TV. And so then if you if you can't show it on TV, then it does, you know, teach us that, like, well, then should we not see it in ourselves? Yeah. And I think you said the, that and this is obviously clearly related to the vagina, mm-hmm. right? And that anything that comes out of the vagina is inherently dirty. Um, I think that I remember, you know, being little, like, you, it's very natural to just kind of touch or whatever. And it was – I always – clearly remember getting the message of don't touch don't touch it um it was like put on your frilly little chonies and go about your day Mm -hmm. or you know i wore Mm -hmm. a uniform for catholic school Mm -hmm. and i always had to wear shorts under my skirt Mm -hmm. you know because we you don't want to see you know you don't want to accidentally like flash somebody right Mm -hmm. or like there was something so there was just a lot of shame around that area in general Thinking about how that flashing, that's so interesting. Thinking about, like, bathroom privacy, too. Someone walks in in the stall, right? Like, oh, your private moment, your vagina. I might have seen something, you know? I don't know. That That's As if it could shameful. be any different than, like, when they use the restroom, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I love that you, you talked about, like, being a little girl because I'm, I'm raising a little girl, you know? And um, we talk a lot about touching our private parts and how it's totally normal and... It's just, it's private though. It's between you and your body. So you can't be doing it out and about wherever you are, but by all means, touch yourself, explore your body. It's yours. It belongs to you, but do it in a private place. You know, if you have a room, you can do it there. Um, And also just kind of normalizing Mm -hmm. our periods, normalizing our bodily functions, pooping, peeing, bleeding, discharge, like all of the above. Um, It's so important to just normalize it and, make it very much a normal part of your day, you yeah. know, so that the shame doesn't exist yeah. with our little ones. But I think, um, I think as adults, like we're still trying to unlearn the shame that we've acquired over time. Um, maybe from our parents, maybe from society. I mean, it, it can come from so many different places, but, um, in particular, I, I know like the first form of shame I experienced was, like the first time I started my period, you know, like mm. when I started my period, I was going into sixth grade and, um, it was the summer before sixth grade and, um, I was home alone and I, I called my mom to tell her like, mom, I started my period. And she was like, oh, cool. Uh, go upstairs and look in the cabinet and find the box of tampons and read the instructions. And I was just like, really? Like, (laughs) that's that's the only advice you can give me right now? Like, this is, even I knew in that moment that this was a big deal, you know? Like, I I realized in that moment that my whole life was going to change because now this is a new thing I have to take on, you know? But as an adult, now I understand, like, maybe my mom didn't have that kind of relationship with her mom where they talked about periods, they talked about bodily functions, they talked about the vagina, and they used the appropriate word, you know, that's yeah. a whole other podcast yeah. episode. But. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's that's a huge. I mean, I even I really have to do work to deconstruct the the prop, using the proper words. Like it really takes me effort to do that with my kids because that was never done with me, um, and it does that. You know, this is this is. What we're trying to, I think, demonstrate here, right, is that it's it's a complex picture that we're given at a very early age mm-hmm. of how, like, these are all reinforcing shame mm-hmm. in small ways, but they're cumulative, right? And it's continuously reinforcing over and over that message of um, 
you know, shame around our vaginas in general, um, but then particularly, uh, particularly when we when we start to menstruate. Um, and so I wonder mm. if we can then get into talking about how how we begin to process that shame, like, or how how are we mm. how have we internalized that shame, and how does it resonate so deeply within us that it manifests in other ways? Like, mm. what other ways do we see that? Mm. You know, like we've we've learned these messages of shame so young, and what impact has that had on on us? <laughs> I had a, I had a friend who recently sent me um, like a like a, an image on Instagram, and it was like a side by side and it was like um how I feel when I'm on my period and it was like the image of a, a person like the back of them and it was like a big old like stain in their butt like a blood stain <laughs> on their butt and it was like how it actually looks and it's like nothing you know mm. and I feel like that even now like even now learning my cycle learning when mm. I'm gonna get my cycle learning how my flow is learning how many days it lasts like I still worry that I'm gonna bleed out and that someone's gonna see like and it freaks me out still to this day you know like and I think that that shame goes so deep like even if you've done work to kind of like deconstruct all of this and make sense of it and feel more comfortable and more confident about it yeah there's still that shame that like oh my gosh someone's gonna know I'm on my period and they're gonna see it forget like I'm on my period like I feel like we've come to a place where like now we can acknowledge like I'm on my period, like, <laughs> give me a break, like, you know, we all, as yeah. women, we, we kind of support each other in that, like, we know what yeah. it's like, yeah. but God forbid someone else sees our blood yeah. and is inconvenienced for that second that they see it, you know, it's like, I still hold on to that, I still... I, I hear that so much, I know, like, I, I've never been the person to, like, I've always worn pads, I've never worn, like, a tampon, unless it was absolutely, like, an emergency, mm-hmm. and, um... I even feel like there's a little bit of shame in that. Like people would say, you use pads and that's so weird. You, you're, you're, it's like you're wearing a diaper. Mm-hmm. Like they would tell me that. Mm-hmm. And so even now, like I wear cloth pads and I enjoy wearing cloth pads, but they are a little thicker. And so sometimes, you know, I am walking around with <laughs> a diaper. But, and I, mm-hmm. and I, I feel the same way. Like if I'm wearing jeans and I'm like, can you see it? Mm-hmm. Like, could you, could you mm-hmm. see the outline of it in my jeans? And is somebody going to notice? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, then I shouldn't wear jeans today. Or I can't mm-hmm. wear leggings because yeah. you might be able to see it. And that, those mm-hmm. are the small ways that we, and sometimes we don't even notice that until we are hyper aware. Mm-hmm. We have become hyper aware, but you know, when we start to recognize like, how are we making decisions or maybe inhibiting ourselves from doing things because we feel like people might know, right, that we're on our period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that getting into, like, our emotional states and the ways in which we're judged for being highly emotional when we're on our period first of mm-hmm. all, I'm like, do you have to bleed for seven days? <laughs> <laughs> no. If you do, you know, like, you would probably be just as emotional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I am allowed to mm-hmm. be emotional. But I think in a patriarchal society that often, in a patriarchal capitalist society that says we need to produce at the same level no matter what there's often this perception that um people who bleed are using their period as an excuse Mm -hmm. wow when in fact i'm like no i am just i am tired like i I, and i just want to be heard and valued for what i'm really experiencing but Mm -hmm. again it's because there's so much shame around it you know, we, we are not allowed to, to feel that way and to maybe not produce at the same level, you know, that we can. But then again, it's like, it's used against us instead Mm -hmm. of used as, or seen as like, oh, let me give you, there's no compassion. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just feeling so much as hearing you both talk and drinking some tequila. (laughs) (laughs) I feel by both, I feel simultaneously so angry, like just that fact, like, I just want to, like, take these memories away, you know, thinking about how mm. this is the, the norm, like, oh, we want to make it normal, normal, but the norm is, right, in our stories that we were unprepared, Some and when we told someone, you know, I thought I shit my pants, I thought I put my pants, you know, <laughs> and my, and I just remember feeling that so intensely, like, I don't know, I don't know what, what's happening, I don't know what I'm doing, and I think it's probably my fault, um, and having, like, a, a parent figure, you know, just be like, oh, that's it. 
blah, blah. You know, like, that's, like, norm. Like, I, I that makes me kind of so angry, like, because I want it to be, like, wow, look what you did. Like, you became blah, blah, blah. You, you're starting to bleed and give life, yeah. you know? Like, not even to, like, have excuses, like, oh, I'm my menstrual cycle, my cramps, I'm bleeding, and how our world is just, like, whatever. We still got to make money. You still yes. got to be a laborer. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then... Yes. Our bodies are doing something amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. This is like the life uh, that this is our future, and so I, there's some part of me that's just like just hella angry right now about this. But <laughs> the other part is I'm shaming myself in this very moment, thinking about ways in which, like, if I have cloth pads, sometimes I use them, and if they're sticking out in the back, I'm yes. just like, oh my god, no one's gonna <laughs> see that. Be like, instead, I could have been just like, if they said, hey, you got something in your tushy, I don't even know what they would say. I have a three year old, right? Um, I'd be like, yeah, I'm bleeding, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I think could be my, my, my response given that they teach gender studies. I feel like probably anything could be my response and they would be shocked, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but just recognizing how that those messages are just there and how I do wear black when I'm bleeding. Mm, interesting. Um, dark color. I wear dark color so it can't be seen. Um, oh. How I... Yeah. I do do some pre-bleeding, which is something we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, where you just kind of at the very end of my cycle and just let it go and then it's... It gets on my underwear. and I don't care, like, yeah. on some level. But I would if someone saw. And I really want to just, I hope in this podcast, just kind of yeah. meet that head on and be mm-hmm. like, it's okay. I, That's more than okay. I mean, I remember probably, being in, in spaces. Um, I have this one clear memory of, so my mom is a hairdresser, and so she had a salon for a lot a lot of years. And so I, I grew up in a salon. Like, I spent a lot of my time there. And. Um, I remember one time, like, I was just really tired. I didn't know my period was coming, but I was just really tired, and I fell asleep, like, literally, like, sitting up in a chair in the back room, and then when I woke up and I got up, there was blood, like, on the chair Mm -hmm. and in my pants, and I was like, fuck, and I just remember, like, not knowing what to do, like, it's not like I had a change of pants or you know and then it was all over the chair and I had to clean it up, and it was just, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there is a lot of, instead of it just being like, oh, let's. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the alternative reaction yeah. to that would be, but um, but there's so much, and and I think it, it comes back to that it is such a uniquely, um, it's just a unique experience to people that bleed versus people that don't, right? That don't ever have to experience that shame, and then a sh- shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can get into like generational trauma <laughs> where shame becomes ingrained into our DNA and, you know, it affects everything that we do. And, um, and it, and it can be traumatic, you know, to, ex- to continue experiencing shame in that way, right. you know? And I think that's so important too, to touch on like the fact that the shame isn't necessarily, necessarily coming from each other. Like we understand as women who menstruate, like we understand like, Oh, you, you have a stain, like, it's all good. It yeah. happened once or twice to uh, maybe more to a lot of us. But yeah. I think that earlier when you were saying like, and we were both saying like, we were afraid to show that we're on our periods. Like, who are we afraid to show? In most cases, it's men. In most cases, it's, it's, it's a patriarchal idea that like our periods are to not exist. They don't want to see them. They don't want to hear about them. They don't want us. They don't want to have any reminder that they're there. And so it begs the question, like, what if you did bleed through? Like, what do you tell someone? I'm on yeah. my fucking period. Like, who cares? <laughs> it's not a big deal. It happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think just normalizing, yeah. you know, menstruation I think it, in general is so up, important. You bring up a really interesting topic there. And I, it makes me think of the ways in which uh, sex ed is taught, right? Oh. That it's broken up by gender, right? Mm-hmm. Um, gender binary gender. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So it's like boys and girls. And so girls learn about menstruation and boys don't. So they really have no sense of what that looks like at all. Because and they only learn about their own. They only learn about their own. Which form like, of don't puberty, watch right? porn and or don't <laughs> let anyone catch you doing that or something like really? that. I don't even know. I don't I even know what they learn. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> That's a really good observation. Like, yes. they don't even know what they and I And, um, Christian school upbringing. So yeah, I was thinking, yeah, actually, too. how much sex ed it ha- plays in that. How much I want sex ed to be, let's get to know your body instead of, like, 
here you bleed, you cover it up, this yeah. is what you do. But it, but going back to, like, um, how can men ever understand when they really, they literally don't know the, the science of it, right? Like, they don't right. even understand, like... The anatomy and physiology. The anatomy of it. They have yeah. no sense of what that is. Um, and I think even... People who bleed don't have a sense of their own anatomy, right? right? Like, yeah. I had a student ask me if the cervix was where the G spot was. <laughs> yeah, and I was just gonna say that, <laughs> like, like, as a childbirth oh, educator, okay. <laughs> you will not believe how many clients I have who I have to like keep reminding, like, what the cervix is because yeah, we we are only taught like where our vagina is and maybe our clitoris if we're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. not even to mention the the cervix at all. Yeah, that's really really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. So I think this is a good time to take a break. So much more to say. There's so <laughs> much more to say. We're gonna take yes. a break and we'll come back. This episode is brought to you by the donations of the following sponsors: Esteban Adame, who created the music for our introduction as well as Danelia Arechiga, who helped us in the creation of our online learning site. And please don't forget about our online learning site at lasdoctoras.teachable.com, where you can get access to our first course, Reclaiming Our Cycles, an Introduction to the History, Theory, and Practice of Menstruation. Our extended discount, introductory discount, is still available, so don't miss out. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, we are going to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, really grateful for that first part and just so much we could say. I know we just like paused and talked about like bloodletting and men and honor and things like that. And I'm just continuing past that point <laughs> to talk about how we um, are reclaiming our menstrual cycle, how we're claiming our own bodies, our own cycles. And I want to begin by just asking um, Danelia, what is it? I know that you use to collect your blood or what is it that what menstrual products do you use? Yeah. Um, so my cycle is about, well, my, my menstrual um, cycle is about four days long. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty short um, from what I've heard, heard from other women is like, it's pretty, it's on the short side. Um, and interestingly enough, when I was on birth control once upon a time, it was like significantly longer and heavier, mm-hmm. which is why I've gotten mm-hmm. completely off of it because mm-hmm. it totally took a toll on my hormones. But um, to answer your question, the first day and the last day I free bleed. So I just kind of let things happen. I don't necessarily like rush to put a tampon in or, or any kind of pad. I just kind of let it happen. And then the second and third day, I, um, I use a menstrual cup. So... And the menstrual cup itself has actually allowed me to learn a lot about my body. Like, I've, mm-hmm. I've learned, like, the texture of my blood. Like, it's not just, like you said, like, the blue fluid. It's not, like, <laughs> it's not super liquid. thick and liquid. It's clotty. There's lots of other discharge and mucus. And it's all very beautiful. And it's um, it's been very empowering to be able to to understand it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say that, you know, like, before the break you know, we can obviously be talking about this forever Mm -hmm. and there's so much to explore. And that's, I think part of the work we're doing in our course is really just recognizing that this is just an introduction to this conversation Mm -hmm. and that it can go in so many different directions. And, um, and we obviously hope that, you know, I think as educators altogether, that's what we do is like just open people's mind up to be able to have these conversations, right? Because we don't get to have these conversations. And I think that's, part of the reclamation work is Mm -hmm. like just saying like, Mm -hmm. let's have this, let's create this space to have these conversations, you know, and, and talk about it without Mm -hmm. shame, you know, without, without guilt, without, you know, feeling, you know, like uh, what judgment, right. Without judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to say that, right. Like this is, can be an ongoing conversation, but getting back to like, what are the different ways that we can reclaim? And um, I think that's amazing. This idea of free bleeding, you know, never even, I think I did that (laughs) maybe intuitively, but I, I always thought it was dirty because it would stay in my underwear. And then it was like, Oh, I had to do an extra step to clean them. Or, you know, my mom, when I lived with her would be like, Oh, did you not put it? Like my mom would actually wear a pad even when she was like just discharge. Mm-hmm. Like she would just wear a pad. She's like, oh, sometimes I just wear a pad all the time. My mom still does that. 
Mm-hmm. She's she's yeah. like she does not have a period anymore. Yeah, my mom either. And she still uses panty liners. Yes. And I'm like, yes, why? Like, but yeah, it's just that. Yeah, and it's not their uh, fault. Right? No, it's no, not, totally. I mean, who's totally. making the money off of that? Like, who's actually oh. benefiting from having them do this? All <sighs> That's the time? a whole other <laughs> <laughs> capitalism, right? Um, yeah, I think I think so. To say like to say that that's actually like intentionally like I'm intentionally just gonna allow the blood to collect in my underwear and if it stains, it stains. You know, like that's it's part of life. That's but that's revolutionary to me. <laughs> not not that it not that I've never done that, but that to do that is a part of this reclamation process, right? right? Isn't kind of like taking back that shame. How revolutionary is it? You know, I when I was young too, I was put on Yasmin, which is known to be, have all these issues mm. now, and I'm so I'm glad I'm glad that somehow <laughs> I I didn't experience those issues yeah. particularly. But to like say I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to get to know my cycle. I'm going to check out my vaginal fluid, right, yeah. to actually see, and also just be in tune with my body, with what it's feeling during my cycle. Like, yeah. it seems basic, kind of on some level. It's like not it's not the no, norm it's not no. and it's it, and it has to be very intentional I think another thing that we can talk about is maybe you know we all have children and how yes. do we how do we have you know we all have said that maybe there was a lack of conversation with us or there was a lack of knowledge that we were given and being that we are trying to come from a different place like how do we mm-hmm. communicate that with our kids and I know that um, there's been times when for whatever reason you know we don't always flush the toilet trying to save water and <laughs> lots of water yeah and so yeah. I would um you know a couple times just change you know going to the bathroom on my period so blood would go into the toilet and I remember Cruz seeing that and you know he was kind of alarmed you know in his own way like this is weird like I don't yeah he was saying we need to put security cameras <laughs> In the bathroom because there's this weird blood in the toilet. That's what he said. There's this weird blood in the toilet. And I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. So I said, I said, you know, no, this is mama bleeds, you know, every, every, and I don't even bleed every month, right? Because I have a really long cycle. I have mm-hmm. around a 40, I average around 40 days. Um, so I'm like, a month and a half, like every month, you know, I, mm-hmm. I bleed and it's totally normal. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with me. You know, it's all good. <laughs> and you know, he was still like, okay, but I still think we need to put security cameras in the bathroom. <laughs> um, but it, it, I remember feeling the, the shame came up for me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I shouldn't talk about this, mm-hmm. right? The shame was telling me you should not talk about this to your five-year-old son. I had to consciously come out and say, no, this is important. This is an important moment. And so I had to, it was, it took a lot of courage to say, we need to have this discussion despite all the shame that I'm feeling, right? Because I don't want him to not know this, right? Or to, yeah, we don't want to pass on that, like, lack of knowledge, particularly because he's, you know, at least he currently identifies as boy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, right, he 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 won't menstruate, and so it's not going to be something that he necessarily mm-hmm. is going to have experience with. So it's, um, it's important for him to know that that's there. And, mm-hmm. and so I feel like that's a part of the way I'm trying to, change that Mm -hmm. conversation right and I think you're also changing the way that men who identify as who people who identify as men yeah um sympathize maybe with women who menstruate Mm -hmm. right because there's also this like stigma of like I know you're menstruating but I don't want to I don't want to hear about it I don't want to see it and like you better not act emotional because of it (laughs) you know like I don't want to suffer the the consequences of it all and so just learning like empathy yeah you know and and again the normalization of it all yeah um in my case I'm I'm raising a daughter and it's been very normalized in our home you know we have an open door policy in in the house um not on purpose but that's just kind of how it is because it's just (laughs) the two of us and um the restroom door is always open and so she sees me she sees me when I dump my menstrual cup out and she's asked me before you know why are you bleeding and I told her and um I think a fear for parents sometimes is that the topic of puberty slash menstruation always kind of intersects with the sex talk um, mm-hmm. um it's mm-hmm. like it's some it's mm-hmm. kind of like you can't have one without the other mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean that's I'm having a very visceral like why why does that have to be the case yeah. but it is the case right yeah. well because in, in our case like I talked about how you know whatever eggs we don't use whatever mm. you know 
they they sh- the lining sheds and the eggs are mm-hmm. you know yeah. released and um and then it's like well what are eggs and how does that work <laughs> you know it's just it's a lot of questions that come yeah, from that it's totally. not it's not easy to just be like this is how it is and that's how it is that's it yeah, you know yeah, yeah. um so we did have to have that talk um maybe a little bit sooner than I would have like to have it or that <laughs> I was ready to have it <laughs> but she's aware and she knows and it's yeah. very normalized I mean it's yeah. it's just part of our day and it's interesting I'm really curious to see how mm-hmm. that experience changes for her mm-hmm. from the way that I experienced I it. it right because like I said I mean my I had very little support slash knowledge yeah. from my my Oh, you're going to be a wealth of knowledge for her, I imagine. Well, <laughs> sometimes I'm afraid I'm going to be a little too much, you know? Like, um, Can you be too much? No. I, know. I, I, I feel the same way. I'm like, oh my God, my kids are right. going to be so tired of hearing about race and gender yeah. dynamics. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Say it back to me. I'm yeah. a feminist. For sure. Yeah. I think um, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about saying, you know, I, I haven't said to my son, because, right, mothers and kids, they're like... They're the same body. They're the same person. They're the same body until a certain time, you know. And so yeah. this definitely conversations come up, but I've answered in similar ways. And I was thinking about ways in which I could answer, like, this is how, like, bodies that bleed, this is their way of cleaning themselves, like, every month. Like, mm. this is just, a, you know, trying to come up with ways and thinking about actually how this question is making me think, what are the cycles that bodies that you know are assigned male at birth what are their cycles because having a son yeah. like i don't know that but i'm sure there is because i'm sure he's gonna yeah. be like am i because he's already like am i gonna bleed mama i'm gonna have a volvo one day and i was like maybe <laughs> i don't you know that's 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 a great question you know yeah, yeah. um but that is a great question. It'd be great for me to know a little bit more too. Like, how can I help him through his cycles too? Total aside, actually. Mm-hmm. But no, no. But that, but it's recognizing that that cycles aren't just a th- right. Like we as humans, right? Like cycles are a human experience, mm-hmm. and even for those of us who menstruate, it's still part of the general human experience, right? I'm convinced that men have like their own oh, for sure. mm-hmm. cycles. For sure. You know, mm-hmm. like sure. I, mm-hmm. a friend of mine and I that are very close. Like we always talk about it. He's a man. self-identifies as a man and he's like I think I'm having my man cycle and I'm like (laughs) yeah I think you are (laughs) and 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 like luckily he's open to the idea that that's a thing because he does get a little testy if you will (laughs) you know during around a certain time of month and sometimes we even like sync up where it's like Mm. we're both a little a little testy and then maybe a, a, like a real sexual tension. Yeah. Too, that's what, I mean, yeah. that's hope, what you hope for, right? Yeah. yeah. No, that's a thing. I think it's it's so important. You know, I know for me as I've been with my husband forever. <laughs> and even now, like as much as we've been together forever, there was still a time when I, I didn't want him to see my pads. Right. Like, and it's taken me a long time to just be much more open. Like, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to go an extra step to hide my pads from you, right? Like, if you don't like it, that's your problem, right? I'm not mm-hmm. telling you to touch them. I'm not telling you to do anything, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, anyway, and then I also, like, asking for the empathy, you know, before, you know, it would be like, oh, are you on a period? And now it's like, I'm on my period. Mm-hmm. You need to be a little, mm-hmm. you know, extra sensitive to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really asking for that. And that's... You know, historically, mm-hmm. that hasn't been easy to ask for, you know, because I thought like, oh, if I say I'm on my period, then they're going to think, mm-hmm. you know, then they're going to have all these assumptions about me. And now I'm just like, no, I'm done. Like, I need, I need extra sensitivity and mm-hmm. I need to ask for that, particularly from my partner, you know. I really love and appreciate that about you, that you kind of said that you're very clear and honest about that. I think I'm still working through that. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm clear and honest. So I'm like, I'm ovulating. So I'm pretty like my libido is really intense right now that's why I feel a little bit more comfortable going but <laughs> you know it's funny and I, I I feel the same way but uh, because I know that when I'm ovulating cervical mucus and we're trying yeah. to avoid pregnancy right. so I'm like, I'm like look yeah yeah you need to stay over there yeah it's, it's peak time and if we're not trying to have a baby you need a chill I'm like I'm so fertile I just want sex <laughs> too right like yeah, totally. it's okay for us to to ask for that and to initiate you know like right. that's also wrapped up in so much shame you know to say like oh I want sex like I need I'm I'm a woman and I need Ooh. sex you know there's yeah. a, there's 
a lot of historical shame around that, you know, and yeah. so that's that's also part of like totally reclaiming it, reclaiming our body, because I think we want to kind of move into this space where we just talk about, you know, the reclamation of our bodies is definitely a part of all of our work, whether it's our teaching or if it's our conversation or if it's our, you know, parent groups, whatever, all of it is very much in that conversation. And we'd love to ask, you know, you, Danelia, in your work, um, how, how does that reclamation of the body play into, I mean, I, I kind of know already, but I'd love to hear you just share about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think as a birth worker, there is a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear ingrained in us. Um, from the time where, you know, we start menstruating mm-hmm. till the time we give birth, um, just that <clears throat> we don't necessarily trust ourselves because mm-hmm. we aren't taught to trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so um, part of the work that I do, it's, it, it is guided by the reclamation of the body mm-hmm. because I try to remind my clients and my, my students, um, they already have the knowledge that they mm-hmm. need to have a positive birth experience to kind of listen to their bodies and understand how things work. But because we live in a society that tells us that we, sh- we don't, that we don't know what we're doing, that we don't know how to give birth, that we need help, we need interventions. Um, even menstruation, like we don't know how to menstruate. We don't know, um, you know, why we menstruate. It's just a matter of reminding them that they already possess the intuitive knowledge to not only menstruate, not only create these babies, not only birth their babies, but even to just parent them, to mm-hmm. bring them into the world. Um, and so that's, I think that's kind of like how my work inter- intervenes with the reclamation of the body. Um, and then also just as a parent, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to change the cycle. Mm-hmm. I, I really am trying to break the cycles, like intentionally. <laughs> you know, trying to do things differently this time around. Yeah. And sometimes we slip up, but it's important to acknowledge that, yeah. you know, this is, this is, this is what I've learned. Yeah. Let me show you a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's really powerful and that's really important, right? The fact that, you know, and you see this, like your work, not just like as a parent, but the work that you do in the community too, right? Like, cause there's plenty of doulas out there that may not be, doing that intentional work, right? Like that's not necessarily inherent to doula work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, that it's, it's amazing to have somebody who's very intentional and not like, you know, how are we, this, you're not just there to be supportive of them, but you're saying I'm there to be supportive of your own like intuition of your mm-hmm. own like self. I think that's, that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So to, to conclude our time here today and to conclude most of our podcasts, we want to begin to create this like flow and rhythm. And this, what we're going to offer is um, pulling cards. And we want to kind of give props to wild mystic woman, women, Leila Saad. Leila Saad for this inspiration. Um, we have created our own, um, or we are creating our own oracle deck for our children. And so we're going to pull from that deck that's in process of creating. And the two cards that we have cre- um, pulled for today are the community card, comunidad, and the giving card. Um, so, yeah, so the community, the words that we kind of came up with were conversation, comfort, and support. Um, and what's the image for community? It is um, a, a painting, a watercolor of um, the ceramic people um, holding hands, the candle. Friends. What is it called? It's called the Circle of Friends. Circle of yeah. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so our other card that we pulled was the giving card. And it is a hand outstretched mm. offering what. Is in the hand. So our words are offering, service, and abundance. Mm-hmm. So we want to ask um, you, Danelia, is what does community mean to you, and in what ways do you give? Community is very important to me. So I definitely resonate with the idea that community is like your chosen family, right? Because community is people that you choose to surround yourself with um, for a common purpose, for a common good. 
And um, I definitely lately have been finding myself devoting a lot of time and energy into cultivating a community, a community of people who can have conversations like the ones we've just had, you know, um, right now in this very moment, like you are all my community because mm-hmm. we've created a safe space to share these very intimate, important topics with each other. Um, so yeah, that's really what encapsulates community for me is just like a safe space with people that you choose to be with for a common good. Mm-hmm. I love that you posted about that on your Instagram feed yeah. recently. Yeah. So go <laughs> <had> check out. <laughs> I had to share your image too because it was so beautiful. Mm, um, and then when it comes to giving, I feel like this is always a really hard um, topic for me because I always feel like I'm taking. Mm. Um, taking from others. I, I feel like I'm very supported and I'm very, very blessed to be as supported as I am. Um, I often find it hard to identify where I give um, because I do depend so heavily on my community. Um, but then I also have to place myself in that circle of community for others. So mm-hmm. maybe, um, you know, I'm in, I'm one of many community members for other people, like for my clients, for my friends, mm-hmm. for my students. Um, I'm a resource in, in many ways. And if anything, um, I'd like to see myself giving just of myself, just being an ear, being a listening ear, being someone who's willing to listen and absorb maybe some of the traumas that my clients have experienced, um, absorb some of the, you know, the violence that they've experienced in hospitals. I mean, that's realistically, that's what a lot of my clients experience, experience, which is why they come to me for doula Mm -hmm. services after they've had like a traumatic experience. So, um, so I would say that's kind of my form of giving. You have been such a resource for us. We've been very grateful for the expertise that you've brought into our lives. And I also want to just say the gift of, um, your Dia de los Muertos gathering at your home. Ah, such a gift to me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so why don't you, we'll wrap up here and tell us um, where people can find you and get in contact with you. Sure. So you can find me on my website. It's uh, mamiamorbirth.com. So it's M-A-M-I and then the word amor, A-M-O-R, <laughs> birth.com. Um, and then my Instagram handle is at mamiamorbirth as well. So you can find me there. Awesome. Yes. Oh, oh, and don't forget about La Fuente. You can also follow La Fuente <laughs> at, um, at La Fuente LB. Well, just to conclude, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Muchísimas gracias. <laughs> for everything, for being thank here you. with us. Thank you for having me. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Bye.